Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. Happy New Year, right? We are here, 2023. Some of you are like, well, I was here last week. Where were you, Brian? Okay. Vacation. Okay. So anyhow, so welcome to everybody here in the room. Welcome to everybody watching online as well. Today, we're launching into this new study, a four-week study on one of the greatest men of God recorded in this book right here. His name was Elijah. And as we get started, let me give you a little context about the time period that Elijah lived in. Okay, when Elijah was alive at that particular point in time, the northern kingdom of Israel had experienced 19 consecutive evil kings over a span of 200 years. And I want you to just let that sink in for a second. Like, we've been around, what, 250 years as a nation? 19, not just ineffective leaders, but 19 consecutive evil rulers, evil leaders, evil kings. Now, think about what that could do to a culture to a nation. And when Elijah was alive, a guy by the name of King Ahab, he was an evil king. He was reigning, and he was married to this woman. Some of you may know her name. Her name was Jezebel, right? Some have said Jezebel was the most wicked woman who ever lived in the history of the earth. And during their reign, okay, the Bible says that King Ahab did more evil in the eyes of God than any of the other kings before him. And allow me to explain. These evil kings, what they would do is they would draw people's hearts away from the one true God, the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, uh, the God of Isaac, you know, that one true God. They were drawing people away and leading them into idolatry, to worshiping false gods, Baal and Asherah. And just so you know, people would often sacrifice their children to these false gods. In fact, they would go into the temples. And they would engage in sexual activity there with a prostitute and call it worship. And they would do things that are just too disgusting to even describe, okay? And so under the reign of King Ahab, the Bible says it was worse than ever before. So you need to know this is a very dark, dark time, a time of corruption, a time of idol worship. And finally, God just says, enough is enough. And interestingly, though, God didn't raise up an army to stand down this evil king. Instead, God did what he often does. He raised up one person to stand down this king, one man. And I would argue that today, God may want to do something similar where we live. God may raise up one teenage girl to take a stand against all of her classmates for sexual purity. Or God may raise up one young business leader who has ethics in a company that's not lack, it's lacking integrity, not doing very well. And one guy can just stand up and make a difference. Or God may raise up one politician to make a difference for good. God often uses one individual. He raises up one person to make a big difference. And so today, as we gain kind of a foundational understanding of who Elijah is, I want to walk you through the process that God often uses in the making of a man of God. Or in your case, it could be the making of a woman of God. 
And let's start with an understanding of what the name Elijah means, because this is significant. Okay, Elijah comes from three root words, El, I, and Jah. Now, El comes from Elohim, which means God. I is a personal pronoun, meaning my or mine. And Jah comes from Jehovah. So you put it all together, and quite literally, the name Elijah means my God is Jehovah. Isn't that interesting? That from the get-go, when God calls this prophet to stand down this evil king, by his very name alone, he's giving the testimony that the Lord God, Jehovah, is the one true God. My God is Jehovah, who stands down this evil king who is drawing people away from the one true God. All right, so let's pick up the story now in 1 Kings chapter 17. Now, at the very beginning of this story, you need to understand, we don't have hardly any background information on Elijah. We simply know him as where he is from. That's how he's identified, Elijah the Tishbite. It would be like Brian Threlkeld is from Texas, okay? And here we go, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba and Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, See how he's kind of going after the false gods that Ahab serves? As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, if this was a movie, all of a sudden the soundtrack would go boom, all right? Because what Elijah just said here was one of the most strategic, prophetic judgments that you could ever imagine against the land. He said that in the next few years, No rain, no dew. To put this into context, a lot of people in our day are talking about the fact that we're in a global economic slowdown. Well, this would be an economic shutdown. In this agriculturally driven economy, no rain would shut things down. In today's terms, you would go to the gas station and you couldn't get gas. You would go to the bank and the bank would not only not loan you money, they wouldn't even give you your own money. You would have no electricity in your home. Life as you know it would just end. There would be people starving to death. Unemployment would reach 50, 60, 70, 80%. People would be dying all over the place. So this man of God stands down this evil king and says, no more rain. And folks, you got to understand this. It would take tremendous faith to do that. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, game on, baby, right? The battle is on. The man of God stands strong. Let's see them fight. But instead, God does something different. God actually leads Elijah into a season of hiding. Like, God takes Elijah away from everything and everyone. Why? It's because there's so much more God wants to do in and through Elijah. God is going to take Elijah through this season of shaping, a long, deep season of preparation. It's almost as if God is saying, there is so much more I need to do in you because there's so much more I want to do through you. And some of you, you're going to be able to identify with the preparatory work of God in Elijah's life. And there are actually three seasons of preparation in this story. And I want you to write these down. The first one is this. God takes Elijah through a season of isolated pain. Isolated pain where he's very alone, he's got no one else to call out to. He's hurting privately in this season of hiding. In verse 1, Elijah says, no more rain. 
And then in verse 2, it says, then, like immediately after that, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kirith Ravine east of the Jordan. Now, can I get all of you to say Kirith Ravine with me on three? You ready? One, two, three, Kirith Ravine. Kirith Ravine. That's a significant term here. Now, the meaning in the Hebrew of Kirith is to cut off or cut down. It means to cut off from the source, to cut off from the blessing. Very literally, it means to cut down like you would chop down a tree. And you can almost sense what God is saying to Elijah here. I'm going to take you through a season of breaking. I'm going to cut you down. I'm going to humble you. I'm going to teach you to be totally dependent upon me. I'm going to do a work in you that's very, very deep so that afterwards you'll be able to do what you never thought possible. I'm going to humble you privately before I use you publicly. Let me say that again. God says, I'm going to humble you privately before I use you publicly. And many of you right now, you're in what you might call the Kirith Ravine. You're in this season of deep, deep pain. And you're wondering, like, where is God? Where is God? And the reality is, he is right there doing a deep work in your life. It's kind of like the story of the little bird that flew south for the winter. And I'll just warn you up front here, this story is a little gross, a little sad, and a little funny, okay? Basically, the three qualities of any good story. So, so, so this little bird is flying south for the winter, but unfortunately, the little bird gets off to a late start. And so the bird, yeah, it's terrible. And so, and so the bird gets caught in this snowstorm. And I mean the snow and the sleet, they are so fierce. They're pounding this bird, and, and the ice is starting to cling to the bird's wings, and the bird's going, oh, man, if something doesn't change here, I'm in trouble. I could freeze to death, but if I try to take off, I'm just going to freeze up. I'm going to crash land. And, and then he just stays there, and the sleet and the snow, it just gets worse and worse. It's pelting this little bird, and eventually his wings freeze up, and he can no longer fly. And so he just resigns himself and says, oh, man, I guess this is it. I'm just going to freeze to death right here. Like, this is the worst. But then, all of a sudden, this cow comes along, okay, stands over this little bird and dumps on him, okay? That's the gross part of the story, in case you were wondering, all right? Just this pile of manure, and, and this bird's going, oh, are you kidding me? Like, I thought it was bad enough. I was just going to freeze to death. And now this, like, I'm in this pile of manure. This is just the worst. But then, because of the warmth of the manure, guess what started to happen? Like, the ice started to melt. And the bird was thawing and thawing and thawing. And suddenly, psh, one of his wings gets free. And he's going, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to make it. I'm going to live. I'm going to live. And this bird is so excited. He just starts chirping with joy. Just chirp, 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 chirp. Yes, that's important. This is all part of the story. Hey, chirp, 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 chirp. But then suddenly out of nowhere, one of Satan's leading creatures, a cat, couldn't resist. Here's the bird chirping. And so this cat comes on the scene. And yep, you guessed it, cat does what cats do, right? Gulp, eats the bird, okay? That's the sad part of the story, in case you were wondering, all right? 
So three lessons from this story. Lesson number one, everyone who drops manure on you is not your enemy. Lesson number two, everyone who digs you out is not necessarily your friend. And lesson number three, when you're in a bunch of manure, keep your big mouth shut. Okay? There you go. That was worth the price of admission right there. <laughs> so, so, some, of you, some of you right now, you may be thinking, man, I'm there, Brian. I'm living in the Kirith Ravine. I'm there. I'm broken. Man, I am being cut down. It's like, what is going on here? I'm, I'm in this Kirith Ravine. The things I used to depend on, I can't depend on them anymore. I'm living in the Kirith Ravine. And God may be saying, you know what? You got to understand something. I'm doing something in you. There's a preparatory work that's going on. I'm teaching you something that you couldn't learn in any other way. I'm doing this work in you because I want to do something in the future through you, something you couldn't even imagine or believe. You know, I thought about this in, in my own life. I know I've had several seasons where I've lived in the Kirith Ravine. And looking back, I've realized God led me there. God took me there. And just to be completely transparent with you, some of those seasons were so dark, they were so painful, I wasn't sure I would make it through. Like, I was so down. I mean, there were times I despaired of life. We're talking intense psychological and spiritual battles going on. Days I didn't want to get out of bed. There were seasons where I lost a ton of weight, and not in a healthy way either. And these seasons, they didn't just go on for days or weeks. Some of them went on for months, for years. I was in the Kirith Ravine. And some of that happened when I was in full-time ministry as a pastor, and I'm crying out to God going, God, where are you? What are you doing here? I was in the Kirith Ravine where God was chipping and cutting and humbling and breaking me. But each time, God did something in that season of isolation when, when no one else understood what was going on. No one else really knew what was happening. And some of you, maybe this morning, you're there. Like, you're in the Kirith Ravine. You're in that period. You know, Elijah spent months in the Kirith Ravine. He was there for a long time. Elijah was there all alone, nobody to talk to. No one understood the Kirith Ravine where God was breaking him. A.W. Tozier once said this, it's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. Oof. It's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. So let me just say this. Those of you right now who are in the Kirith Ravine, be encouraged. Be encouraged. The more God is working in you, the more God is preparing you in that season of isolated pain. Okay, the second season God takes Elijah through as he's shaping him is what you might call total dependence, like complete dependence, where Elijah cannot depend on anything else at all but God and God alone. In verses 4 to 6, God says, You will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Okay, first of all, for those of you who are against meat, you're all vegan and vegetarian, can I just point out here that God brought him, say it with me, meat, yes. 
Praise be to the God in heaven and on high. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Amen. Yeah. All right, now, please hear me on this. Those of you who are vegan, you're vegetarian, you're out there. God loves you. I love you. You're wonderful. All right. My son, my daughter-in-law, they're full-on vegan, and it works for them. It's good for them. And I would say, if it's working for you, good for you. For you, okay? (laughs) I I, I can't do that. I couldn't go there, right? I'm a red-blooded male. I need red meat. Like, if my wife, Wendy, said, hey, we're going all vegan. I'm not cooking meat anymore. Like, I wouldn't be that guy sneaking out of town to go party and do wild things. Like, I would be the guy sneaking out of town to get a steak, right? Yeah. I couldn't live that way. Anyway, I digress. Where was I? So, so here's Elijah all by himself, and God does this crazy miracle. I mean, first of all, think about this. We're in the middle of a drought, and, and the brook pops up. There's brook there. There's water there. Who do you think was responsible for that? And then we've got God's heavenly catering service going on, all right? I mean, these birds, think about this. These birds are going out, and they're finding bread, and they're finding meat, okay? And and every morning and every evening, they're delivering it straight to the prophet. Like, what in the world is that? That is God very clearly saying, no matter what, I'm there for you. I'll be faithful. I got your back. I will provide for you. And many of you right now, you may be in a season where everything that you used to trust in for security has kind of been taken away, and you don't have anything to trust in at all anymore except maybe the, the giver of life, the giver of all good things. And God's trying to teach you, yeah, that's enough. When everything you used to trust in for security fades away, you can trust in me. I'll be there. I will be faithful. I will be your provider. You know, a single mom knew this very well. She used to pray to God every day, very loudly in her apartment. She would worship God. She would praise him for his provision. And next door to her lived an atheist who couldn't stand hearing the prayers through the very thin walls. And so this woman, she would worship God, and the atheist would come out and say, oh, you stupid lady, you're a fool. There is no God. Well, one month, there was more month left than money. And so this single mom cries out to God and says, God, You've always been so good. You've always provided. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I need food. I need food for me, for my children. God, please provide. Well, the atheist overheard that, and he went to the store, and he bought all these groceries, brought them back home, took them to her apartment, set them in front of her door, rang the doorbell, and then ran around the corner and hid and so this woman, she comes out, and, and she sees all this food there and goes, oh, praise you, God. You did it. You provided. Thank you. You were so, so good. And with that, the atheist pops out from around the corner and says, ha, you fool. God didn't provide that. I bought that just to show you that there is no God. Oh, with that, the woman just praised God even more. It said, oh, oh, thank you, Lord. You provided for my needs, and you made the devil pay the bills. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. Forever and always, God says, when you can't depend anymore, when you're tired of depending on all that stuff, all that other stuff you depend on, I'll be here. I'll provide. And here's the really cool part. Did you catch the fact God, God didn't, like, bring Elijah a pantry, right? God didn't provide three months of food, 
two weeks of food, not even two days of food. What did God do? He provided just enough for the day. Just enough for the day. Some of you, you're going to learn that principle that God delivers enough for that day. You know, when you're uncomfortable, God says, I'll be your comfort for today. When you don't have much, God says, I'll be your provision for today. When you're weak, God says, I'll be your strength for today. Like when your friends leave, I'll be your friend for today. For today. God won't necessarily give you more than you need, but he'll give you exactly what you need. I'll be your daily bread. And so Elijah learns to depend on God for that day. You see how God is teaching Elijah total dependence. All right, the third thing God does is he takes Elijah through a season of unconditional obedience. So first you have isolation and pain, and then you have total dependence, and then next you have unconditional obedience. Verses 7 and 9. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. Now, put yourself in the prophet's place. He's been living by this ravine for months and months and months, and it's been taking care of him. It's like the source of water for him 24-7. And all of a sudden, God says, leave the ravine. Leave this place and go somewhere else because the brook's dried up. Now, in my mind, I'd be going, what in the world are you doing, God? Like, you provided this for me, and now you're telling me to go. Did, did I do something wrong? Did I miss you the first time? Am I not hearing you, God? And Elijah's going to learn that the God who gives the water can take the water away. Because God may cause that brook to dry up to give us the confidence to move from where we are to where we need to be. Think about that. Some of you right now, you're saying, oh man, my brook is dried up. God, my brook is dried up. I used to kind of trust in my job for security. I don't think I can trust in my job anymore. Like I had this nice nest egg. It was a 401k. Now it's like a 201k. I mean, my financial brook is drying up. I, I used to have all these good friends and soon, boom, all, all of a sudden they, they're all abandoning me. I, my, my relational brook, it's drying up. I used to think my marriage was great, would last a lifetime, and now my marriage brook is drying up. I, I used to be close to God, and that spiritual brook seems to be drying up on me. You know, it's been said that God guides by what he provides. You ever heard that before? God guides by what he provides, and, and he does. But I believe God also guides by what he does not provide. God, the God who gives water, might cause that brook to dry up to give us the courage to take a step of total, unconditional obedience. God will often guide by what he does not provide. And so this brook dries up, and it gives Elijah the courage to obey, even though it doesn't make any sense. And so God, he causes Elijah to leave that place and go someplace new. And this is where the story gets really rich. Unfortunately, we don't have time to read it all this morning. But I would encourage you, read this sometime. It's awesome. It's amazing. I'll just give you the highlights. Elijah leaves this place. He goes to a new place. He travels around 100 miles. And he sees this widow along the way. And this widow, God says, this widow's going to take care of you, Elijah. going to provide for you. 
And so Elijah humbles himself and says, ma'am, could you give me some water because I am really thirsty? And, and maybe a little snack too because I'm kind of hungry. And this lady looks at him like he is absolutely nuts. And she says, are you, are you the only guy around here that doesn't know what's going on? Like, it hasn't rained in forever, buddy. We're, we're in a drought. We're, we're dying here. I've got one son at home. He's back at the hut. I came out here to get some sticks and to make a fire. We're going to have one last meal. I've got just this tiny, tiny bit of flour and a little bit of oil in my jug. I'm going to prepare one last meal, and then we're going to sit down. We're going to die. We're going to starve to death. And here's where it gets really cool. See, because of all that God had done in Elijah at the Kirith Ravine, preparing him for this moment, he looks at this woman and says, no. No, you're not dying. Elijah looked at an impossible situation and spoke faith into it. Said, that flour ain't running out. That oil is not going to run dry. Go bake me some biscuits, okay? Bake yourself some biscuits. Bake your son some biscuits. And she did. And, And they ate, and the flour didn't run out. The oil didn't go dry. For weeks, for months, they ate, and they ate. And they ate. So again, God supernaturally provided for Elijah in his unconditional obedience towards him. And then one day, tragedy struck. Her young boy died mysteriously. And this mama freaked out, as you would expect, and she said, is this God's judgment against me? Is God judging me because I kind of moved away from Jehovah to these false gods? Is that why you came here, Elijah? And, and Elijah, this is amazing, because of all God had done to shape him, Elijah did something that, as far as we know, had never been done in the history of the world. Okay, certainly not recorded in this book. Elijah took the young dead boy in his arms, went upstairs, set him down, lied his body on the boy's body, looked up to heaven, and said, God, I believe you could heal this little guy and I'm asking you to do it. And God raised that young boy back to life. Wow. Why did that happen? Because God had taken Elijah to the Kirith Ravine where he was cut down. God had taken Elijah through a season where he had nothing else to depend on in desperate times but God. And Elijah learned, in those times, I'm going to cry out to God. And God caused the brook to dry up, to give Elijah the courage to leave where he was and go to where he ultimately needed to be, which was at this place where he could perform a miracle and raise the dead to life. See, God took that season of pain to shape Elijah into a true man of God. And folks, this is just the beginning. Next week, we're going to see God give Elijah the faith and courage to do phenomenal things. And it's all because he went through the Kirith Ravine. So some of you right now, you're in a season of deep, deep pain. And God may be trying to say to you, I'm doing something in you. I'm here. I'm working. I'm doing something in you because one day I want to do something amazing through you. You know, back in verse 1 of this story, Elijah was simply known. He was described as Elijah the Tishbite. He was known as where he's from. But 23 verses later, 23 verses later, Elijah's not known as where he's from, but from whom he's from. Look at how the story changes. This is verse 24, the end of the story. 
this woman of God, by now she's certainly a believer, definitely a believer at this point. God raised her son from the dead. The woman said to Elijah, now, he's been around for a while. Now I know that you are, what is it? Say it with me, a man of God. Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. See, God may allow you to go through the Kirith Ravine so one day someone will look at you and say, wow, I know it. I see it. You are a woman of God. You are a man of God. And I'll tell you right now, I thank God for the seasons of pain and the seasons of shaping. I thank God for the hurt and the brokenness and the supernatural provision and the unconditional obedience. Because my prayer is when people look at me today, they wouldn't say, oh yeah, there's Brian Threlkel, that, that guy from Texas. No, I hope instead they would say, oh, there's Brian Threlkel. It's not perfect, okay, far from it. But we know he's a man of God. See, the making of a man or a woman of God, they often go through the Kirith Ravine, where God works in them what he needs to do so he can work through them in astounding ways. Let's pray. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're in the Kirith Ravine. You feel alone. You feel isolated. There's pain. I pray that you would use that time to look to God and say, God, I need you that in that season, you would learn total dependence on him. God's trying to remove you from all the other things that you're trusting in so you can trust in him and him alone. And as hard as it is and as confusing as it is, in times it doesn't make any sense to a trusting God to provide, trusting God to be there and unconditionally obey. Even when it doesn't make sense, say, God, if that's what you're calling me to do, I'm going to do it. Because God wants to do something in you, something incredible. He may be humbling you privately so he can use you in amazing ways publicly. Lord, we thank you for all the seasons of our lives. We thank you that no matter what, even in ways we don't see it, you love you and we praise you in Jesus name.